Hey, my name is Justin Sinceri. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist obsessed with the polyvagal theory. Welcome to Stuck Not Broken. This episode was originally a discussion that Mercedes and I had, or an interview that we did for another podcast. It was called Single Parenting, Staying Sane. The host was Carla Joe Garrity. And we did the first episode and then the podcast kind of didn't really go anywhere after that. So I reached out to Carla Joe and I said, hey, do you mind if I use this episode here on my podcast? And she graciously donated this entire episode to us. I think you'll like it. Please put yourself first. This one gets a little bit emotional here and there. It's a little bit heavier, but I think it's an important one. So just please make sure, as always, put yourself first, take a break if you need to, come on back when you're ready. And you know, I'm just really intrigued about... um as single parents, how we can support our emotional and mental health, you know, during a time which is often incredibly stressful, especially we're going to be looking at today people who um, are sort of going through separation or who have gone through separation in the last couple of years. Um, So it's still fairly new and there are going to be all sorts of different feelings, um, emotions that people are experiencing. And um, I'm a single parent myself and I've got friends who are single parents and um, and also sort of aware of the more general population. And people often, you know, are, con- are confused, feeling a bit frightened, a bit overwhelmed. You know, there's feelings around how are my children coping with all of this? You know, it's it's a biggie. <laughs> and yeah. so today um, I wanted to pay a bit more attention to the feelings of guilt and grief and maybe judge, um, not grief, shame, sorry. And the judgments that can come out of that, maybe feelings of failure, um, I'm not good enough, and mm. how can we begin to support ourselves, you know, in that moment when they arise? Obviously, it's so important to get professional therapeutic help. But in that moment when we're feeling a bit, oh, and this is arising, um, beginning to think about how we can support ourselves in that. Um, and also, I'm aware that you um, are both also really passionate about something called the polyvagal theory. So maybe as as well as general psychology we could begin to weave that into um what we're talking about as well so something that really struck me that i thought it'd be a good place to begin with is that i was speaking to a friend on the phone who's a single parent and she became a single parent about a couple of years ago now and we were talking about the feeling of grief and she said to me oh i just carry around with me this constant feeling of grief around what has happened and how this is going to affect my children and she said to me am I always going to feel like this am I always going to for the rest of my life now carry around this really heavy feeling of grief and that really struck me and I thought, wow, you know, this is such a common feeling for single parents to experience. So this is where I'd like to start. I mean, obviously, in the line of work that you do, this must be something that comes up with the people that you see. Um, yeah. What are your thoughts around around this? 
Yeah. So is it, is it okay if I start Justin? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. Um, so, <laughs> so I think the first thing I want to say or ask, I guess would be, um, to this person, to all the people going through this is, um, in regards to the feeling of grief, was the separation from the other person necessary for that person's wellness? I'm going to go ahead and assume the answer is yes, because otherwise nobody wants to go through a separation, especially when there's children involved. So assuming that the separation was for the adult's wellness, just their own well-being and mental health, then the feeling of grief for me, it makes sense because I think part of the feeling of grief is going to be um, mourning the loss of the ideal that we had in our heads of, you know, when we were kids or whenever, you know, getting married and, and buying the house and having children. And, you know, so I think part of it is mourning the loss of that ideal. But then as far as feeling it forever, you don't have to feel it forever. I think um, it's a really normal process to feel grief when when you lose this part of a life that you thought you were going to have. It's really, really normal. But then just um, coming to terms with and this this is going to be the big part right here. This is going to be where a lot of work happens, I think, for a lot of people. But coming to terms with the fact that this is what I needed. I I needed to be not with this person in my life. I needed the separation for myself to be well. And and that goes back to the thing that we always talk about and we always hear. I need to be well to be available for my children. Because if I'm not well as a mother, I'm not going to be a, a, a present mother for my children. And the first thing I'm going to be is present for my children. So it, it's the domino effect, right? If I want to be there for my kids, I have to be well. If I want to be well, I can't live with this person anymore. I can't share my life with this person anymore. And so kind of coming to terms with that and accepting that will help the grief process kind of move through to the next stage. Yeah. That's what I think. Yeah. Thank you. Justin? I, I do want to... I want to talk more in particular about polyvagal theory. And I think the stories component will be really important with this, the narratives. The, the polyvagal theory is the science of how humans connect. Or actually, mammals, all mammals. But also how we shift to various levels of danger or life threat. Just in a very small nutshell here is that there are cues of safety or danger that we can get from other, we'll say, people. And cues of safety would be um, safe touch, safe gentle eye contact, um, safe proximity, um, eye crinkles, smiles, all these tilting your head to the side and like, you know, smiling or whatever. Um, All these, yeah, all these um, safe, universally safe cues that people get that help us to feel safe. Um, And then there's cues of danger. And these, this is a wide range, but basically... Um, it could be, you know, if we look away, if our eyes look away while we're talking with someone, there's like a, you feel a shift. You feel like, oh, I just lost something. Um, cues of danger are flat out, you know, abandonment. Um, most of the moms and well, yeah, most of the moms I'll say that I've worked with over past decade or so, a lot of them are single and it's not exactly by choice. Um, dads just flat out abandon, uh, their children. So obviously a cue of danger, losing someone that you think you're connected with. And then, uh, so if we feel those cues of danger, we shift in our nervous system. It's not a choice. We shift in our nervous system down to like a flight mode, which doesn't mean we want to run away exactly, but it might feel like anxiety uh, or unsettled or hypervigilance. It could be a lot of different things. 
And if we can't run away from actual danger, like say there's like uh, you're there's like actual danger in the world, like you're being mugged or someone's like following you on the street or something like that. Your first instinct is to run away. If you can't run away, your body shifts to flight. I'm sorry, fight, fight behaviors. And if you can't fight, then your body shifts to this like shut down, collapse um, behavior where you just go numb, dissociate, your body just goes limp. And there's another one which is called freeze, which is a combination of being in a really revved up like state where you want to run or fight, but then being immobilized through force. And, uh, and so that energy gets stuck within you and you, and you literally like your body freezes up. So I think the important thing when it comes to your audience is you, that your audience may be in a state of high anxiety or even super high level of depression, which we call shutdown, which is called depression. I think more day to day. Um, people in depression, I'm sorry, people in shutdown are numb. They lack motivation. Um, they're not feeling fulfillment through the things they used to. They may isolate themselves. And this looks exactly like depression. So um, I think that for your audience, they may be in a state after a huge life change of losing a spouse or partner or whatever happened that is going to affect you on a nervous system level. And not like you're choosing to go through these things. It just happens. Uh, but when these things happen, that our thoughts actually change, and then these things pop into our head, these stories pop into our head, uh, if it's my fault, or I wasn't good enough, or he was an asshole, <laughs> excuse me, <laughs> or or a jerk or whatever. Um, so these things pop into our head, which might be true. Maybe he was a jerk. A lot of these things are shame-based, self-blame-based sort of things. That aren't necessarily true. And I think what Mercedes brought in, which is, was you may have left someone for your safety or for the safety of your kids or because it was the best thing that you could have done in your life at that moment. The reality doesn't always necessarily match the, the, the thoughts that we have in our head. And the thoughts that we have in our head are based on the state that our body is in, which is flight, fight or shutdown pretty much. And, you know, what I really love about this theory is, is that it helps people to understand that it's not their fault mm. and that this is a biological process that is happening, which is completely normal. And then the thoughts are a response to that. And I just feel that's so, so important for people to begin to understand, because let's face it, it's not really out there in the general education system no. in terms of understanding our mental health. So if we can just begin to understand, you know, when I'm feeling these deep feelings, like you're saying, that it's this is a part of the normal process of my biology, yeah. and then this this new brain is just responding to what and trying to sort of understand what we're feeling, so that we can then sort of gain a rational response. Yeah, I mean that's so powerful. That immediately, for me anyway, that immediately begins to take away some of the the stickiness of what I'm feeling because then it creates some space. Like, oh, okay, this big feeling's here, but this is normal. Yeah, there's some validation in it. I think, I I don't know about everyone, but for myself and for many people I've talked to, there's this sense of validation in it where, you know, I knew I was feeling this for a reason and, it, and I'm not crazy. You know, it's not just me kind of a thing. And I think I think that's a big piece of it for me. And um, one thing, I'm not sure if you said this, Justin, so forgive me if, I, if I'm if i just repeating, but um, I know one of Justin's favorite phrases is that our brains are meaning-making machines. 
going back to like the stories and stuff and how you were saying, Carla Jo, it, it, this stuff is going on and it it's what our bodies are reacting to. It is what it is. But if we don't understand that at that level, that this is a physiological reaction that anyone in the same situation would go through, then our brains will try and make meaning of it. And that's where the stories come in. I deserve this or I wasn't good enough or, you know, what, you know, whatever the story is. And, and that's yeah. where the danger is, I think. The danger is in the stories. And so you're right, again, Carla Joe, when, when we talk about the polyvagal theory and how this is, it's essentially a biological your response. Your body is responding to this event in your life. It, it is. That's, that's what it is. It's very normal. And, and again, the danger is in the stories. And so hopefully that will help people separate themselves a little bit from those stories that aren't always accurate. They could, yeah. they can be accurate, well, the, but they're usually not. The stories aren't about reality. It's, it's about why my body just shifted. Like, it, right. you know, if, if I'm in a good place with my spouse and all of a sudden we're splitting up or what I perceive was a good place or whatever it is. And then now I've lost that. Or even if it's a bad relationship and you lose it, there's a level of predictability that you've lost. And that is a cue of danger. If you lose predictability, that's a cue of danger. So your body reacts to that. Life becomes a little bit less safe or a lot less safe and so your your brain the meaning making is not about reality exactly it's about i just i don't feel safe anymore so your brain's trying to make sense of the, the shift in your body all right because when we drop to these defensive states of flight fight or shutdown it's not a choice and and that it's a biological thing that our behavior our thoughts our breathing our heart rate changes like if you're doing a, a podcast for the first time and you get nervous, your heartbeat changes, right? Your breathing changes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it's not a choice. Um, this, these things can happen throughout the day, but with a huge major shift like losing or breaking up with someone, you're going to feel that. You're going to like when you the moment where you decide it is time to break up or someone leaves you, you feel that. Yeah. Oh, your, yeah. Your body, definitely. your body, it like immediately adjust, like it, it has a reaction to that, and it might be a panic or you know increased heart rate, or I want to shut down and hide somewhere and, and just cry. There's kind of a thing in society where we have this expectation of ourselves that we should be feeling okay all the time, <laughs> and that when um, we're not yeah. feeling okay, we're like, ugh, you know. Even that, even if when we're going through a separation and it's been horrendous and really stressful, you know, we move into our new place and we're just feeling rubbish. Oh, we yeah. still can lay a sense of expectation on that, like, oh well, you know, I shouldn't be feeling like this. And I think there's, yeah, there's so much more education to be done, isn't there? Well, that's. To- yeah, and that yeah. understanding of that this is normal is, is so important. I would really encourage anyone who's going through that because you're right. It's not just the split or the abandonment or the or the breakup or whatever it is. It's not just that. You also there's moving, there's dealing with custody, um, visitation, yes. uh, transporting. Like there's all these layers of change that happen, and every single layer of change is going to be a potential danger cue, um, and it just it just piles on. Plus, now on top of that, you're also going to be blaming yourself, like you said, or potentially blaming yourself, or you might be in a fight state and it's all about the other person and how much you hate them. Or it might be, you know, this is too hard for me and I want to just give up. Not that you want to give up, but your body's in a place of, I'm done. I I can't handle this. It's too much. I want to just hide and curl up in a corner somewhere. Where does guilt fit in with all of this then? Is guilt 
a judgment or a state? <laughs> it's not a state. No, okay. No, it's um, guilt is feeling like you did something wrong. And shame is, it's like I did something bad, so I feel guilty. And that might be real. Like maybe you did do something wrong. Maybe you were a part of the reason why uh, there was a breakup. And maybe that's an honest truth that you make to yourself. Not, nothing wrong with that at all. And that's that's a process you can go through and forgiveness and apologies and all that stuff. But I, I would just I would just ask if the guilt is accurate. Like, did you actually do something wrong? Do you do you actually have something to feel guilty about? Yeah, uh, something that like yeah. I yeah seems to be common is this fe- a massive feeling around guilt in terms of how this is affecting the children. Oh, and how can you ever? Yeah, how can you ever? Yeah get over that like this this situation has happened and you're feeling massive guilt in terms of the huge shift that children are having to go through now having two homes or never seeing the other person again or and the guilt that comes with that uh, I don't know what your thoughts are in terms of how maybe Mercedes I think I think it goes back to what Justin was saying is um did you actually do something wrong because Again, going back to one of my first thoughts, if if this was something that happened, the the separation from the significant other, if this is something that happened for your own wellness, for for I'm gonna I usually speak in the first person. So for my own wellness, if this happened because I needed to be well and I could not share my life anymore with this person, but there there was no wrongdoing, like I didn't do anything wrong, then there doesn't need to be guilt. And it makes sense that there will be guilt for the child's sake. I get that. I will also say that I am not a single parent, and so I haven't personally gone through this. But I, I do get that. But then the flip side is, what would life have been like had you not separated? And so would that life have have produced any more wellness or you know success as a family? I'm I'm going to assume the answer is no, because I don't think people separate and split up from each other. Just for funsies, I I don't think that's why that happens. I think it happens because it's a necessary, it's a necessary change in your life. It has to happen, or you know, more negativity will happen. So I think coming to terms again with the idea that it, if you did something wrong, you do have to own up to it. But if you didn't do anything wrong, if the guilt is solely about how the children are going to be affected, then I, I don't know if this is going to sound unhelpful. But I feel like that's a little bit easier because once you can let go of the idea that you've done something wrong to your children, you haven't because being well for yourself, again, being well for yourself. And this is for both you and the ex, whoever, you know, ex spouse or ex whoever, if you're both well in a, in a, in a positive mental wellness place, that is what's going to be helpful to the children because it doesn't matter how many homes they have. It doesn't matter if there's two or three or four homes if the people who who live in each of those homes are well within themselves and can treat each other well, but I know I'm using the same word like 16 times, but they can treat each other kindly and with respect, that's what's going to matter for raising the children. Yeah, And so and guilt doesn't have to be a part of that equation. That's so powerful. So I guess what the accept, the, there's, there's a lot of around sort of acceptance there and and yeah just really tuning into the fact that this is this is happening because of ultimately for long my long-term well-being and that yeah if I can just accept this and, for everybody's uh, long-term well-being yeah. I'm sorry I don't mean to cut you up but for everybody because the children are going to suffer too 
if the family unit stays intact, but it's really negative and, and hostile and toxic. Yeah. So it's for everybody's well-being. Yeah. So once you can begin to sort of see it like that, again, not get lost in sort of stories which aren't helpful, but really right. see it as it is. And then, then, yeah, you can begin to shift away and move from feeling that sense of guilt. It's not going to be easy. And no. I don't, I don't want to sit here and be like, oh, all you have to do is accept it. No, it's going to be difficult. I mean, there's going to be personal feelings involved aside from parental feelings. You know, there's going to be, um, you know, man and woman stuff, whatever the type of relationship you were in, yeah. you're, you're going to feel your feelings that have nothing to do with being a parent. And that's going to be difficult to get through. But if, if both parties can agree that now that we're past the relationship stage, we've, we've, you know, dismiss that we're done with it. Let's just focus on the parenting stage and just really be respectful and kind to each other. That's what's going to bring wellness for the whole family, for everybody involved. And that, and it, and again, it is, it is really difficult. It's mm-hmm. not an easy task, but you know, staying focused on that idea will help. Yeah. Thank you, Mercedes. Any thoughts, Justin? I have more curiosity. I have, I'm really curious about the word guilt. And if this was like a therapy session, I'd probably hear the person out and really kind of process that and like tease apart this and that. But, but, um, I'm really curious if is that, and I've, I'm not a single parent. So, but to me, it's like guilt. Right. So my question would be like, well, what did you do wrong? And if there's nothing you can identify you did wrong. So it's like, well, is, is guilt the right word? Is it more shame? Is it more, do you know a, what actually, is it yeah, more sorry. of like a feeling of like failure? Like I, I feel like there's more to it than just guilt because guilt is pretty simple if you did something wrong you fix it you apologize that's kind of it when it comes to guilt really so like but it feels like there's a lot more to it than just the word guilt and i think i'm lacking like i'm missing something here you know what i mean do you know what's really interesting thank you for bringing that up is that as you're speaking about this i'm like okay so i'm reflecting on when i maybe last felt that yeah and Oh, and I'll give you an example. So yesterday I dropped my son off at his dad's and he stays with me all week. And then he goes to see his dad at the weekend. And I was taking him out of the car and I could just feel like this pit of yuckiness in my gut because I just felt terrible because once again, you know, I'm having to take him to his dad's and he doesn't want to go. We've had a really amazing week together and then like there's that feeling of like oh my poor child I mean I'm again there's a story that I'm telling myself around this um but this feeling of in my stomach as I take my child out and then go and give him to him as dad and I think that's important as well because often we can have a body sensation and label it a particular thing and it might not be that thing and then we can create all sorts of stories around that when it's not even that it well look, like look a, i think it's important to recognize the pit in your stomach and that what that is is that's the shutdown response like it, it it's down there we, that's where it lives and the flight fight response is in the chest like with your heartbeat and whatnot that's where that lives and the, so, the social engagement system is in your head heart neck area and that's where that lives right so when you feel something down there your body's just like it's just killing you like you want to shut down it's too much so to me, in that situation, I'm putting myself in that situation. I'm not a single parent. If I had to say goodbye to my children for a weekend, that would kill me. That would absolutely destroy me. I, I don't think, I don't know how I'd get through that. But I don't think it'd be, to me, I'm trying to put myself in a situation and forgive me if I'm way off base here, but that's not guilt. It's my child is gone for the weekend. 
and they don't want to, that's going to hurt me even more, honestly. So I feel like guilt is, I didn't do that. I'm not doing it wrong. So tell me if I'm off base here, but that's, that's a lot heavier. That's like, it's a separation from my children. Like that's a huge deal. That's a natural yeah. biological and I'm not a mom either. So I think I'm, I'm assuming it's bigger for moms, but, um, as a mom saying goodbye to her children for a couple of days when you don't want to, and they don't want to, that would, that's gotta be hard. Yeah. Do you know what? Thank you so much for naming that, Justin, because you're so right. Actually, <laughs> it, that it's is your massive. child. It's yeah, <laughs> it is. I hadn't yeah. thought of it that way either. And, and again, I mean, Justin, I keep saying it, but I'm not a single parent either, but I'm a parent, you know, and just <laughs> sometimes letting go of my children overnight. Like that was hard for me with the first couple of times when my husband and I wanted to, you know, go away for a weekend or something. That's hard. And it, they were just staying with my parents or his oh, parents. Yeah. You know, they, they weren't in danger. They weren't, you know. And and again, I think I'm trying to I'm trying to put myself in, in those shoes and to compound it by, you know, leaving your child with the person that just made you so miserable. And I, you know, I'm assuming this of, of all yeah. people, not you specifically, Carla Jo, but just single parents in general. There's so much personal history between the two of you. And then to let go of your child for two days, that's hard. Yeah. That's gut-wrenching. And then obviously there's the feelings around, well, then I have absolutely no control over oh, yeah. <laughs> what's what going happens. on with that other yeah. parent or what they're doing or they've just gone for two days. And, you know, yeah, so, wow, <laughs> there's bound to be. It's natural to have. Yeah. Absolutely. You're you're attached Absolutely. to your children. They're attached to you. And now you're in a situation where you have to say goodbye for a set amount of time. I, I don't know. That, I'm not hearing guilt. I'm hearing attachment, healthy attachment. I'm hearing love. And having to, yeah. being forced to say goodbye for a weekend. Oh, my God. Just to sort of go a bit deeper into this then. So, you know, when obviously this is a common theme for single parents. And again, I've I've seen this talked about too is, you know, then when they are when they have disappeared like that for, you know, that amount of days, you know, how best do we look after ourselves? Like how do we bring ourselves, maybe using polyvagal language, you know, back up what's called the ladder. So you have these three different stages and coming out of maybe feelings of shutdown so that, yeah, there's not just a pit of overwhelm. (laughs) Do you have any thoughts around that? I'm stuck on your your use of the word disappear. You said that they disappear for the weekend, mm. right? That's what you said, right? Yeah, and it's yeah, and that's what it feels like, right? Sometimes he will phone me, um, sometimes he won't. So it's what it's Sunday here now, and I haven't spoken to him, you know, since first thing Saturday morning. But that's that's the story. That's the narrative that pops in your head, and it's it's a yeah. true reflection of how you feel. So I'm not minimizing that at all. But no, it, it's no. again, like it speaks to the, it's like you have this attachment that's being severed for the weekend. It's being cut off. That's not how parents function. Like it's our biological attachment to this person, this, you know, that our child is being cut off for the weekend. It just feels like they've disappeared. So your, your word, use of the word disappear really stuck out to me there. Sorry if I was off, off to the side there. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to cut in now too. And I'm distracted okay. by something else. So just to be clear, I do want to ask, actually answer your question about self-care, Yeah. but I'm, I'm distracted by something else, which is, uh, this, this I think is one of the biggest reasons that, um, it's important to 
I don't know how corny or terrible this is going to sound, but it's important to work with your ex to be parents together because I, again, I, my heart is dropping into my stomach listening to you. I I'm putting myself in your shoes and I, I can't, I wouldn't be able to let go of my children for a weekend with, with the idea that they're disappearing for two days. I would not be able to do that literally physically. I would not be able to let them go. And so the thing that kept on going through my head while you were talking is this is why the relationship between the two adults still needs to be healthy and well as much as possible. And again, I know this sounds unrealistic and maybe some people listening to the podcast are thinking like, Oh no way. This is never going to happen. But look, the reality is we should really be rooting for that person because I don't want to use you as an example. So I'll just use like a general single parent. So it's a single parent out there. Um, if, if a single parent, if a single mother can root for her ex to be successful as a parent and to be a great father and or mother or whoever, uh, you know, to do their best. And so that when I, as a single parent and dropping my kid off for the weekend, I know they're going to be safe and healthy and well and smiling when I pick them back up again. That is the best scenario. And so, again, I, I I'm just imagining the people listening in the car or at home like, mm-mm not going to happen. But, but in reality, we, that, that other person is half of your child's identity. This is something that I was taught a long time ago when I was, I call myself a baby clinician back then. We, as parents, we share, you know, our children have half, half of each parent inside of them. And so for one parent to, to deny the other parent, so to speak, to not root for the other parent and to say, Oh, you know, that, your dad or your mom is a terrible blah, 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 blah. That is denying that child half of their identity every single time. And so we really, it it would be really important to find a way to root for the other parent and to really hope for success and to support the other parent as much as possible to help them be successful. And and going all the way back to, I feel like I've like, like gone on a crazy tangent. Before you go back to self-care, I just, yeah, I just want to say thank you because that's so, so important. And sometimes maybe, I guess, just talking from experience, you know, we can become so lost in how we're feeling and how difficult it is for us that we can forget that actually that other, the other parent is feeling, you know, probably very similar feelings of despair Mm -hmm. and and loss. And if we can begin to recognize that, then that can create more of a compassionate space for us to all move through as a, as a family. Yeah. And hopefully going back to the word that Justin got stuck on, hopefully when a person drops off their child, I don't want to say you, but hopefully when you drop off your child, it won't feel like they're disappearing, you know? And so you won't feel so heavy and so down. And so this is me segueing back to self-care. And so maybe the self-care won't be quite so desperate the need won't be so desperate for it on a practical yeah. level. Yeah. Yeah. If you, if you can somehow address yeah. that on a practical level, absolutely. Yeah. Um, thank you. You said, I forgot what it was. You said, um, I think you used the word despair. You, oh, you said that you were, if we could keep in mind the other person that maybe they're going through also despair and loss or whatever. Right. Um, yeah. but that's when it comes to self care, that's where you start is by recognizing where you're at. And it's, it's good to have empathy for the other person as well. Absolutely. But you have to start with where you're at. So I think you can tell yourself all these thoughts like, 
you know, we ended it for the right reasons and my child's safe in their hands. That's great. But your nervous system does not know that. Your nervous system is like, I lost my child. It's, they disappeared. So that's where you start. Like your nervous system is telling you and these thoughts pop in your head, right? So you, you, that's where you start is I do feel despair and that's legitimate. I'm allowed to feel that. I'm going to let myself feel that because it's, it's legit. So you, I, I don't think the solution when, when it comes to self care is to ignore that or to mm-hmm. mask it over or to, I don't know, cope with, I mean, coping with it's fine and all that, but you really have to recognize that you do feel that way. It is real. It is normal and it's completely okay. So just allow that to happen and allow yourself to feel despair or that pit in your stomach. Like start right there, start there. If that's where you're at, like it's okay. Start there. And then, uh, and then you can kind of, when it comes to self-care, there's so many paths on how to do that, that it's hard to say, like, just do this thing. But I think when it, in general, when it comes to that shutdown pit in your stomach sort of place, that a lot of quiet and um, honestly being alone, I think is okay. Being with friends is a good way to cope. But if you need some alone time and some quiet time, like that's totally okay as well. So you, you start there and allow your body to be still and, and to be sad if it needs to be sad. And cry if you need to cry. Absolutely. I don't know if that's an obvious thing to say, but I, I feel like it's not. I feel like um, kind of going back to some of the guilt and shame stuff. I think there is um, a belief, especially especially for mothers, but I think I think for either gender of parent. But I think there's a belief of I'm, I'm going to stay strong. I'm going to get through this. I I don't need to cry, et cetera, et cetera. But like Justin is saying, f- feel where you're at. Really exist in that state, whether it's shut down or fight or flight, and and really experience it. And if that means tears are coming out, then tears are coming out. And that that's part of the process. And that actually helps us get to the next state up the ladder. We want to move up the polyvagal ladder and, and just experience it. There should be no judgment about it. I shouldn't be crying. I, I should be, I should be bigger than this. I should be better than this. There doesn't have to be any judgment like that. The, let the tears flow and then, or whatever, whatever it is, the screaming into the pillow or the screaming, not into a pillow, but you know, um, (laughs) the punching bag like an actual punching bag not a person but punching if you need to punch or whatever the thing let it happen but without without the judgment just with the experience of existing in the feeling and in that moment until it passes because it will pass yeah and you know what i think uh thank you for bringing this up this is really interesting because often there can be some fear around these sorts of big emotions like when you know when we're feeling like this uh we kind of like our mind sort of wants to think its way out of it and the last thing we might want to do is think right okay i've got to i've got to feel and sit in this big feeling of and as we know that's you know the, the only way out is in <laughs> you've got to go through it to then you do um, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. so there also seems to be around something around there around beginning to learn and have an understanding of recognizing our emotional state because I think so often we don't even know how we're feeling so just taking yes beginning to learn how we're feeling recognize the sensations and then um yeah learning to sort of be with them I'm wondering yeah. if that you know that takes practice doesn't it <laughs> oh it does. yeah it's not an it does, especially thing. for yeah especially for someone who's been become so good at denying themselves their genuine feelings mothers again I don't want to I'm not excluding fathers but parents are good at that as far as like 
you know, well, I got to take care of the kids. So I don't have time right now to cry or I'm going to take care of my child. And so I don't have time to scream and be angry. And sometimes it's a reality of our lives, especially I assume as a single parent, because you don't have the other person to fall back on. So yeah, I think feeling your feelings as part of self-care is going to definitely be something to learn if a person isn't already accustomed to doing that. This is what, this is what I'll add to that though, because, um, so many people are going to be like, well, when I cry, I get angry and I'll start breaking stuff. And I hear that from the people I work with pretty frequently. So it's, it's not, you can't just feel it in an uncontrolled way. You have to be coming from a place where you're really curious and loving and, um, in a place of non-judgmental, just, you know, love for yourself. And it has to be a, it's a gentle process. It's not a rageful one. If it, if it feels like rage, let it feel like rage. That's fine. But really it's, you don't just like uncork it and like go nuts with like rage and do you know what I mean? Like you, it's like, this is yeah, how yeah. I'm going to set aside <laughs> some quiet time for myself in a safe place. And I'm going to let myself feel that pit in my stomach and I'm going to embrace it. And, and I'm going to treat it like a new, almost like I lost this relationship, but I'm going to get in touch with my body all over again and get in touch with myself all over again and really build a new relationship just with myself. And so I think that we are so cut off between our head and our body um, there's like this thing that happens where we get really overconsumed with our thoughts and our shoulds and shouldn'ts and our judgments and whatnot. But we, we, we lose contact with what's happening in our gut and our chest, right? So it's really becoming reacquainted with yourself in a very curious, not judgmental, not evaluative way. So curiosity, not, not evaluation. Yeah. And thank you. Yeah. That's so, so important because yeah, if we come at it, it's like, right, I must sit with this this feeling, then that's going to create even more layers of judgment and more fear. It does. Right. Actually <laughs> it does. Feeling with feeling. Yeah. It does. Yeah. 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 Um, and so as you were saying that, something that was coming into my mind was this idea that um, Peter Levine talks about. Peter Levine is a, an amazing psychotherapist and um, expert on trauma and especially body awareness yeah. for people who aren't aware of him. And, you know, something that he talks about in terms of when we're learning to be with these feelings is um, well, pendulation. So becoming, learning to find an area in your body which feels safe and secure and maybe pleasant and so that you can move between the two to stop you feeling feelings of um, overwhelm around maybe the feeling of, say, shame in your body. So that may be as yeah having a very safe space feeling safe and then becoming aware of feelings of safety yeah. in the body and Pe learning what those are and then moving between them pendulation can, yeah. from what i understand is is the ability to kind of go well it's like a pendulum you kind of go back and forth that there will be some difficult things but then to swing back into a place that feels safe and then back into the difficult things so it's like a back and forth rhythm um i believe that's similar to what dub dana with her rhythm of regulation that we don't always exist in a safe and social place that's not realistic the goal is to be able to go from a difficult place back up to a safe and social place and then back up and down that there's a rhythm to it we don't just we're not always perfect this doesn't exist um so is that kind of what you're talking about with the, yeah, the pendulation? yeah so like yeah. if people are thinking oh well, okay i'll have a go at sitting with some of this i guess just well, bring it, to where look, the safest way to do it some people they're, they're not going to sit still and close their eyes that's that is just not going to happen it's not a safe experience whatsoever 
So I, I think that pendulation, we can take the same idea and apply it to if, if you're in a place in your movement. Like if you know that cooking for you is a safe thing to do, then that's your safe place. Maybe not in your body, but it's something my body does. Or playing basketball or writing, drawing. For me, I love drawing. That's my safe place. But you know, if, if you're in a place that is more difficult to handle and you feel yourself going there, but you're not ready to go all the way there, cool. Go do your go do your safe thing. Come back to the negative stuff a little bit when you're like just dip your toe in there. Just a little bit at a time. You don't have to do the full on, you know, meditation or the full on like I'm gonna sit here in the dark with my t- with my with my tissues ready to roll. Like you don't have to do that. <laughs> just little by little and build your capacity to handle the more um, difficult to handle feeling. So I think we can use pendulation the same way going back and forth. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. And you know, that's really important. I think just in general as single parents to really understand what is it that helps us to feel safe in terms of, yeah, daily activities. And like you say, cooking, like a lot of people love that. So, you know, just really being in the moment and cherishing that experience to bring you back up. This is what I would encourage them to do though, is you know that there's things that you like, but the challenge then is to notice how you feel when you're doing them. Don't just do them out of habit. Like, I know I like to draw, so I'll go draw, but it's like, no, 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 no. What's the experience of drawing like? Like, how does my, especially my torso to my gut, what is my nervous system feeling while I do this? And if I change it up and draw faster, how does, how does that affect my nervous system? Like, how does that feel? And you're, it'll feel these little things in your bot, in your body like in your gut or in your chest, your, your, your breathing might change. So whatever it is that you're drawn to, like really notice what is it like to experience this thing? And don't just do it out of habit. And we, I think we do that a lot with music. We just listen to music for some reason. This is the music I'm drawn to. I don't really know why, but I keep coming back to it. But if you really pay attention, like how does my body feel while I'm listening to this music, it unlocks something. I, at least for myself, that music is another kind of portal for me to get to a safe and social place. That I, if I look, and sometimes silence is better than music for me. So if I go from silence to like more heavy metal music to like uh, more uh, melodic, you know, all these kind of music that I can work my way up into feeling a, more connected with my kids or just in my day. Notice the experience of the things that you're drawn to. Yeah, thank you. Mercedes, do you have anything you'd like to add to that? No, I, I mean, my thoughts um, kind of mirror Justin's a lot. I, he beat me to the music point. Ah. I was going to make that point. <laughs> he got me. But um, no, I think um, one other layer of it that I was thinking about, just kind of incorporating everything that Justin said is, is there can be, um, I don't know what the right word would be to say, I guess speeds speeds to an activity so um for example cooking um Mm. one of my activities that i've mentioned before on on our podcast and is um weeding i like to go into the yard into the garden and like pull weeds and kind of tend you know tend to my yard um and there's so so there's kind of different speeds so i'm thinking of cooking for example you can cook something that's a little a little bit more slow and a little bit more soothing, maybe like a, a baking project or something, mm. or you can go crazy and do some like, you know, like uh, what would be something that you chop a lot? I don't know. Like I keep thinking of chicken teriyaki. I don't know why, onions? <laughs> you know, like lots of, like onions? lots more action, like ta-ta-ta-ta. onions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, but yeah. what I'm saying is like, you know, kind of, kind of notice that too, like what you're drawn to within your activity. Justin used the example of, um, you know, drawing a little bit more slowly or a little bit faster using faster strokes while while drawing. So 
kind of using that as a cue, I think, to um, to identify your state or to identify what your body needs or wants to do. Um, I don't know. I guess I just wanted that to add sense, that. That makes sense, though. But from, from a place yeah. of curiosity. Like, from a place of curiosity. If I make this change, yeah. if I cut the carrot faster or whatever, I don't know. How does that feel? Like, what's the experience for me? You know, if I feel like pressured and like, Ooh, I don't like the way that feels like, okay, let's try something else. So if we slow it down. Right. And like for me, I think if I was to cut a carrot slowly, there's something kind of cool about the sensation. Like there's like a little resistance, but you can kind of go through it. And then there's like yeah. the, the sound and then it goes like when it hits the, you know, the board. Yeah. Like the whole. <laughs> if, but if you don't stop and like that. really, if you don't slow down and really notice the experience of it, you'll, you'll miss out. Like you're just doing all you're doing. Like you're just cutting but that you're not doing like you're not being in the moment. And that's really kind of what we're talking about. I think is, yeah. is to come from a place of curiosity, be in the moment and really like, how, do, how do these things really affect my nervous system is what we're talking about. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you know, curiosity, like you say, is so important. So coming at this, like you're saying with a sense of curiosity and that immediately can begin to shift how we're feeling because we're, we're coming out of it and exploring it rather than yeah. feeling lost in exactly. it. Exactly. Exactly. And something else that I just want to um, finish with, something that you said, Mercedes, was that um, it doesn't, these feelings don't last forever. And I think it's so, so important to begin to understand that because so often we can be left in feeling so overwhelmed. And am I going to feel like this for the rest of my life? Because the feelings just so feel so stuck and powerful. But when we can begin to understand this a little bit, then wow, that just, I can just feel my body just go, okay, this is here right now, but this isn't going to last. Yeah. Yeah. No feeling is permanent. Feelings are temporary. And, you know, the more we work on ourselves and the more we work on being curious about the state that we're in and what our body is trying to tell us, I think that will help each of us to, to kind of move through the heavier and more negative feelings that, we're going through, especially single parents. I, I just want to be clear that I, I admire single parents. Uh, you guys are soldiers and warriors because I have a lot of people in my, in my family and friends that are single parents. And I, I struggle with my husband, like not well with him. And <laughs> that's a separate thing, but I'm saying, you get what I'm saying. Like, yeah, you know, yeah. we, we we're parenting together and it, it still feels like it's really difficult and it's a struggle and, and single parents, my hat, my hat to you because it, it's hard. And so just be kind to yourself and, and yeah, it's not going to feel like this forever, but the more kindness you can give to yourself and others, and that includes the ex, yeah. the, the easier it will be over time to get through some of this stuff. Just, just, be kind and curious. Yeah, kind and curious. I like that. Justin, any thoughts you'd like to add as we finish? About permanent? Um, no, no feelings permanent. But the feeling is not just the feeling. The feeling comes from your autonomic state. So if you're in a shutdown place, it's going to feel like depression and numbness. If you're in a fight place, it's going to feel like aggression and anger and rage. And if you're in a, a flight place it's going to feel like anxiety and uh, hypervigilance or whatever so it's not just the feeling it comes from a, your autonomic nervous system state so the the issue the trick here is to come again from curiosity and to treat yourself 
as a friend. And it sounds super, super corny, I know, but it's really like that's how we treat friends is we get to know them little by little, right? We don't just launch into all of our stuff off the bat. No, you get to know each other little by little out of curiosity. Um, so I would treat yourself the same way. Um, and that doesn't, I'm not asking anyone to fix themselves. I'm asking someone to, cause I don't think you're broken in the first place, but I, I would ask people to, um, just treat themselves with, with enough love and respect to where the judgment can kind of be put away a little bit. Start there, check in with yourself, um, out of love and curiosity. And then I, I do, I believe, and if you listen to the Polyvagal podcast, you'll, it's going to help you out even more. But I think that, it's a little plug there. I do think that you'll be able to shameless. work your way up. Yeah. Work your way up. That really was shameless. You'll work your way up to a more safe and social place. And if you can do that, then the difficult things like handling the X is going to become easier for you. It doesn't fix the situation, but when you're in a safe and social place, you're just able to handle things easier. It's not as overwhelming. It's not something you want to run away from or fight. It's just like, here's the situation. I can handle this. I can focus on the priorities and, you know, it, things just become more manageable. So I do think, I don't think things are permanent. I don't think that your feelings are permanent. I know there's tons of hope there, but um, it comes from genuine curiosity first. Yeah. And actually just one more thing that I wanted to pick up on, which you mentioned there, which uh, is so, so important. And maybe you could expand on just a little bit is this sense that we're not broken, that we are, we are whole. Can you say a little bit more? That's really, really, really important to me that when we go down into these defensive states of flight, fight or shutdown, that, um, that's, it's normal. It's, it's a normal reaction to loss or to grieving what you have lost or to being attacked. Like it's a, it's a, if you're an abusive, uh, in a situation that is a normal response to your environment, or at least what you perceive your environment, the, the perception of threat level of the environment. But it is possible to get stuck in a flight fight or shutdown state. So people, I think that are more in a depressive shutdown state they feel like they're broken, that there's something wrong with them. Um, and, you know, they get diagnosed and they get medicated. And, of course, they feel like, and people like me tell them there's a chemical imbalance or that they're somehow genetically born different. And so, yeah, they're left with this impression that they're broken or defective. And no, you're not. You're stuck in a defensive state. Um, and to me, that's a lot more hopeful than there's something wrong with you, which I just, I simply don't believe that. Yeah. Yeah, that's so powerful. Mercedes, any thoughts on that that you want to add or? No, no, just um, I think um, kind of touching on another point that we were talking about earlier, the I'm broken thing. I'm broken. I'm defective. It's my fault. That whole thing. It it goes back to that's a story. Yeah. Stories aren't usually true, you know, and and it's it's a really difficult. And this is something I've personally been kind of battling with. Um myself is the stuck not broken thing totally. uh it's it's just like justin said it this is what your body is going through and there's a reason for that that it doesn't mean you're broken and it doesn't mean something's wrong with you and you're not defective you just this is the experience you're having there is a very specific reason why you're having this experience and it is what it is and and the story of being broken it just makes it just makes it more difficult to go through and to and to move out of it 
because then you're 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 like labeling yourself with something a little bit more permanent. You know, you're broken. And that's it's just inaccurate. So stuck, not broken. And becoming unstuck is something very doable. Yep. Oh, thank you so much, guys. That has just been so, so, so helpful. And I hope everyone at home has, yeah, I'm sure has benefited so much I from hope, this. I hope people have found some some value. I think that's what, that's what we say on our podcast. Is, huh? yeah. But I hope a I direct hope and positive influence. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, yes, well, yeah. So I, just, I just feel this is so, so important in terms of just everybody's mental and emotional health because, you know, until fairly recently, a year or so ago, you know, I knew nothing about polyvagal yeah. theory. And it was like, oh, my goodness, like my whole <laughs> life sense now. You know? That was exactly my reaction. And, and for both yeah. of us, it was about a year Mine ago. Too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a little yeah. over a year ago now, but same thing. It was just ah like why didn't i learn this yeah. where has this yeah. been this is the answer to everything yeah it's like for me it's i always explain it like it's the missing piece like yeah. i i knew this bit over here and this bit over here but i didn't have the the link and this feels like the link to me it, it just explains everything that wasn't well, the, explicitly explained before and then combined with uh peter levine's work and others as well uh deb dana does a really good job but peter levine deb dana and uh stephen porges that those are my uh, my polyvagal trinity right there. Polyvagal patrons, let me know what you thought of this episode in the Patreon comments. And dear listener, I hope you liked this episode. I hope you benefited from it. I hope you were able to give yourself love and compassion and hopefully grow it, actually, if you needed it. Carla Joe, thank you once again for letting me use this audio for my listeners. If you're dying to have even more polyvagal podcast content, I have a Patreon. And through that Patreon... For five bucks a month, you can get an exclusive podcast. It's called Polyvagal Patrons that has non-duplicated audio content. So it's all new episodes. And it's only for Patreon subscribers for only five bucks a month. It's also a couple of other benefits uh, for five bucks a month. I, it's hours and hours of audio. I think it's well worth, you know, sacrificing a coffee every, every month. And I like coffee a lot. So I know it's a big sacrifice, but I think it's worth it. Thanks again for listening. 